0: Turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 11. We'll be looking at verses 27 to 32. If you're wondering where the Gospel of Luke is, it's in your New Testament, second half of your Bible. Luke is the third book in the New Testament, and we're going to be looking at chapter 11 today. Luke chapter 11, verses 27 to 32. Many of you here have read this passage already this morning, because this is the passage we're looking at in our game challenge together, and we're going to be looking at it one more time. Maybe you don't need me to preach on it. Maybe you've got everything you need from this passage already, but hopefully, from this message this morning, you're going to be encouraged in a season when maybe you feel like you're lacking a bit of resource. Maybe you feel like this season is a tiring season, or it's season where even though spring is just around the corner, you feel kind of just like, blah. If that's you in this place, then this message is for you. We're doing a series here at Thrive. It's called A Look at Jesus. Everyone say, A Luke at Jesus. And it's because we really believe that the more you take a look at Jesus the more your life has changed. And we uh, are taking a look at Jesus through the Gospel of Luke. Why don't you read with me jo- the Gospel of Luke chapter 11, verses 27 to 32. Help me preach in this place and read in a big, loud voice with me together this morning. One, two, three, it says, as Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. He replied, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. As the crowds increased, Jesus said, this is a wicked generation. It asks for miraculous sign." But none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was a sign to the Ninevites, so also will the son of, God, son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them, for she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now one greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now one greater than Jonah is here. All right. Before we get into this passage, I want you to very quickly uh, listen to what the title of this message is, and then once you hear it, I want you to tell your neighbor in the most comforting voice that you have, with the most comforting face that you have, I want you to tell them with a high five in your hand, to give, ready to give them, I want you to tell them, you got all you need. Could you tell them that right now? You got all you need. You got all you need. Turn into someone else in front of you, behind you, give them a high five, and also say that. You got all you need. You got all you need. That's the message this morning we're here to share with you. You got all you need. Would you read verse 27 with me in a big loud voice? One, two, three. It says, as Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. See, before when I would read this passage, I would look at this verse and I would think, okay, I wouldn't think too much of it. I would think this is just one woman who's praising Jesus." But the more I've been thinking about this one verse this past week, the more this phrase sounds a little bit strange to me. I don't know about you. But say you're Jesus, and a woman comes up to you and says, oh, your mom is so blessed to have you for a son. In fact, the translation of it in other uh, versions will say, uh, blessed are, blessed is the womb that gave you birth and the breast that nursed you. Could you imagine you're Jesus, and a woman comes up to you and says, your mom is so blessed to have you for a son. So lucky and see, if you're, if you're Jesus and you listen to that, deep down, what are you thinking? Deep down, if it was me and I was Jesus, I'd be thinking, okay, what are you not telling me? Because the thing is, is deep down, it's almost as if she's saying, you know, your mom is so lucky. Your mom is so lucky to have you as a son. is this some kind of weird pickup line, or is it something where, is is it, I wish, oh, I wish I had a son like you. I wish I had a son like Jesus. Maybe she didn't have a son, or maybe she had a son who wasn't like Jesus. Maybe was more like the devil than Jesus, and, and she was just wishing for something that she didn't have. And perhaps I might be reading a bit too much into this verse, but when I read this verse, I can't help but think that maybe, just maybe, this woman's comment was born out of a dissatisfaction she had with her life is that in talking about how blessed someone else was, in talking about how blessed Jesus' mom was, she was indirectly almost complaining about how unfortunate she thought her life was. And see, have you ever done that before as well? Where you look at other people and what they have, and you think to yourself, man, they're so blessed, they're so lucky, but then you think to yourself, why can't I have what they have? There's a word for that. It's called envy. And if you want a definition for envy, let me give you that definition right now. You can write it down, take some good notes in this place this morning. Envy is being resentful because someone else has something you don't have. Do you struggle with envy? Have you ever struggled with envy before? Let me give you a few clues if you're not really sure that you might struggle with envy. Here's clue number one. Clue number one that you might struggle with envy is that you keep comparing yourself to other people. Is that wherever you go, it's almost like you have this invisible measuring stick that you take with you where you're constantly measuring yourself against other people. Who's smarter? Who's richer? Who's more accomplished? Who's better looking? Who's more popular? Who's got the nicer kids? Who's got the nicer car? Who's got the bigger house? And, and it's because envy is very much based on comparison. It's based on competition. Sometimes the comparisons that we make with others make us feel great because we look and go, yeah, I'm much better looking than that guy. Or, oh man, I've, got, I've done so much more than that person has, and we feel really puffed up because of envy. Sometimes we end up on the opposite side, is that we make these comparisons with people that we feel like are so much better than us in an area where we care about, and we get all depressed. Has that ever happened to you before? Oh, look at how many likes they got for their cat photo, and look at me and my sermon, I got only these many likes. You know, th- th- this is the thing, is that sometimes we make these comparisons, and they cause us to be depressed because envy is based on comparison. And you often end up thinking, oh, you know what? I wish I had that person's life. I wish I wish I had that person's wife. I wish I had that person's job. I wish I had that person's opportunities. I wish my children were more like that person's children. Have you ever felt that before? See, clue number one that you struggle with envy is that you keep comparing yourself to others. Clue number two, you find it difficult to celebrate other people's success. Is that when you see someone and they give you good news about their life that they're announcing to you, oh, we're getting married, or I just started dating, or we're expecting, we have a baby, I just got into that school that I applied for, we bought a new home. Whatever that news is, on the outside, you're like, wow, great, congratulations. And your voice goes super high, but deep down you're thinking, why not me? Why not me? And when 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 someone gets the acknowledgement that you wish you had, when someone gets the praise and the compliments that you wish you had, you think to yourself, "Why not me?" You find it difficult to celebrate other people's success. Clue number three: You often feel like you're living in someone else's shadow. Maybe you grew up in a home where someone else in the home got most of the attention. Maybe it was a sibling. Maybe it was your parent. Maybe it was a cousin. Maybe it was someone else that you grew up with or in your grade who for some reason they just got so much more of the spotlight than you did and people even would compare you to that person. Why can't you be more like your sister? Or why can't you be more like your brother? Or why can't you be more like that person? Or you compare yourself to that person, why can't I be more like that person? You feel like you're living in that person's spotlight or in that person's shadow. That's clue number three that you might struggle with envy. Clue number four, last clue today, is you often think life is unfair. Is that if life were a card game, you feel like you've been dealt a bad hand where you look at what you have and you compare it to what others seem to have, and you go, why is my life so hard and their life so easy? Have you felt that way before? If you've felt that way before, then that is struggling with envy. See, if any of these clues that we talked about today applies to you, then very likely there's a struggle in you and me with envy. And you're going to find that envy has a few results that are problematic for us. Number one is that envy destroys our health and our happiness. You know, recently, medical researchers, they found that there's this link between envy and your physical health is that when there's envy in your heart, medical researchers have found that it takes a toll on your body. Physical side effects, like you get high blood pressure, you have poor posture, you got hypertension, you get loss of appetite. Interestingly though, before, long before, doctors were talking about the impact of envy on your physical health, do you know the Bible was talking about that centuries, centuries before? Look at Proverbs 14:30 with me. Read it with me in a big loud voice. What does it say? It says, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. There's an, even in fact another translation that compares envy to cancer. It's hidden. You can't see it. It's under the surface. You can't see it from the outside yet under the surface it's re- wreaking havoc in your life. And for as long as there is envy in your heart it's going to eat you up inside. For as long as there's envy in your heart you're going to not be able to enjoy the life that you have. You, you If you have envy in your heart you're going to find that envy will blind you from the good things that are happening in your life. It makes you unhappy. Envy makes us discontent. It makes us easily angry. It makes us judgmental. And of course, this in turn damages our relationships because no one wants to be around an unhappy, judgmental person. If you believe that, say amen. Number two, another thing that envy does is this. Envy distracts you from what's most important. Envy does this thing that causes us to to do some kind of silly thing sometimes. There, there, there's a saying which is "Keeping up with the Joneses." You've heard that, right? There's also the show called "Keeping up with the Kardashians," and and it's this idea that we we and, and the "Keeping up with the Joneses." That that say that saying is this idea that we don't want that person. To get ahead of us, we don't want our neighbor to get too ahead of us. And so, if if they, if you see them with a, a big house, they just moved to a big house. We're so like, we can't let them stay in that house without us getting a bigger house. Or you see that woman's LV bag? Oh man, that's a 2018. We got to get a 2019 LV bag. You know, or or, or it's where we see you know people who who have you know a certain thing that we think, oh man, we can't keep we, we, we got to keep up with them. It's called keeping up with the Joneses. And and we we work so hard to keep up with our neighbor that we start acting these silly ways. I like how Pastor. Warren puts it. He, he says this. He says, Envy causes us to spend money that we don't have, to buy things we don't need, to impress people we don't even care about. And see, this is not a new problem. See, centuries ago, Solomon was the king of Israel, and he noticed the same problem going on in his culture. Look at Ecclesiastes 4, verse 4 with me. Could you read with me a big, loud voice? What does he say? It says, then I observe that most people are motivated to success because they envy their neighbors, but this too is meaningless, like chasing the wind. You're going to find this is that when we are acting in these silly, stupid, envious ways, competing with others, trying to keep up with the the Joneses or the Kardashians or or, or the or the chans, or whatever you want to call it, we're taking for granted the people who really matter to us. We are taking for granted the blessings that God has given to us because we're so focused on someone else's blessings. Has that ever happened before? You're so focused on someone else's wife that you forget about your own. You're so focused on someone else's kids that you forget about your own. You're so focused on someone else's opportunities that you forget about what's in front of you. Envy causes us to take for granted the treasures that God has placed in our lives, and our relationships suffer as a result. Another, another problem with envy is this. Envy damages our relationships. How many of us know that you can't be a good friend to someone when you are envying them secretly? It's really tough to do. It's, it's kind of like you can't draw, and you don't have to do this right now, but you can't do a, a, a number six with your right hand and, and do a circle with your, with, with, your right hand, with your right foot at the same time. You can try that later on. But the thing is that you can't be an envious person and a friend at the same time. You can't be a good friend of someone that you're secretly envying. You can't celebrate people uh, when you are you know, secretly envying them and not really sure if you want them to succeed. Envy turns us into bad friends, turns us into bad lovers and bad teammates. It makes us unable to enjoy our relationships. Look at James chapter 3, verse 16. What does it say? It says, For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. You might be looking and going, seriously? Is that a bit of an ex- exaggeration? Every evil practice? Where you find envy, there's every evil practice? Really? Well, if you read the Bible, you're going to find this. Is that for the first time people sinned, guess what? It was due to envy. You know that? When Adam and Eve... You know, sinned, it was because they coveted, they envied what God had. They were like, why does God have to have all the power? Why does God have to have all the knowledge? And so they end up eating a fruit that they were not supposed to eat, and it was all because of envy. That's how mankind fell from God. It was as a result of envy. You look at the first murder in the Bible. It was due to envy. You got Cain and Abel, their brothers. God has favor upon Abel's sacrifice, not on Cain's, and so Cain gets envious, and he kills his brother. The first murder was due to envy. The first time a single mom and her child are abandoned and left alone to die that was due to envy. You got Hagar and Ishmael. Hagar is the single mom with the, his son, her son Ishmael, and they are kicked out of the home because someone is envious of Hagar. It was due to envy. The first major sibling rivalry between two sisters in the Bible, it was Rachel and Leah, and it was due to envy. You got first time that someone was abandoned by his siblings and sold into slavery. That was Joseph sold by his brothers. And why? It was due to envy. If you fast forward to the New Testament, you're going to find that in the New Testament, you guys, you, you notice the guy, the this group called the Pharisees, and we've been learning about them over the past few weeks, is that the Pharisees they were envious of Jesus' popularity, and so what did they do? They handed Jesus to the authorities, they had him crucified under false pretenses, all because they envied what Jesus had. Envy is a breeding ground for every other kind of evil. That's why 1 Peter 2.1 says it this way. What does it say? Read it with me. It says, therefore rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. How many of us know this? Is that envy? Envy isn't just a negative feeling. Envy is not just a feeling. Envy is not just a personal weakness. Envy is a sin that damages our relationship with God. And see, when you envy others and what they have, what you are effectively saying to God is, God, what you've given to me is not enough or God, what you've given to me sucks. I prefer what you've given to someone else. You're basically taking God's grace for granted. You're refusing to trust in him. And so envy isn't just something that damages our relationships with people. Envy damages our relationships with God. And here's the question for you today. Do you struggle with envy? If you struggle with envy, how do you get rid of envy? We're going to talk about that today. You know, I'll be really frank with you guys, during the first few years of us planting Thrive Church, you know, there was a church that I really envied. you know what the church was? It was our own parent church. It was Torch Covenant Church. We came out of that church, uh, you know, they, they sent us here to Vancouver to plant this church, and, you know, for those first few years, I would often be comparing where we were at to where our mother church was at. And I'd be, okay, in your first year, how many people did we have? Oh, in our first, in the first year, how many did they have? You know, how many, how many, you know, how many converts do we have? How many people do we baptize? How many did they baptize? And I kept on comparing back and forth, back and forth. And, 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 and it was something where I, I, I was so frustrated and, and so envious and, and so kind of upset inside and, and so wrapped up in this. And, and what I found was this, is that it wasn't helping me in any kind of way to make those kind of comparisons because it was two completely different situations. Amen. You, know, you have you have your, our parent church that came out of one of the largest churches in Taiwan. You know you have a very famous pastor who's who's sending who's being sent out with a team of 30 people. This team of 30 people has you know they, they've got you know you know about maybe 10 people ready to take on leadership as small group leaders. You got two full worship bands, experienced people. You got a culture that's already developed where people pray out loud. You say hey, let's all pray out loud together, and they pray out loud and they do all those things, and 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 they're just ready to go. They know what to do, and they they went and boom, and it took off. And then we have and I was comparing that to me and Pastor Charlene coming all the way to Vancouver. And we've got no team. It's just me and Char. We, we say, let's all pray out loud together. And it's just me and Char praying out loud together. And when we ask other people who are starting to join us, let's pray out loud together. Like, huh? Pray out loud together? What's that? And, and, and we we'd we have all these different, you know, struggles as we first started off, as anyone would. And, and you know, we, we didn't have an established reputation as a church. And, and during those first few years, was it tough? It was a little bit tough. Because one of the things that made it more tough than it had to be for me was I kept on comparing myself to a church and a group and a person that was compl- had a completely different calling than me. Amen. And as a result, it didn't help anyone. And you know what happened? is It was when I had to start to realizing, you know what? I need to repent of envy. And I need to get rid of the envy that's in my heart and start realizing that God has a unique calling on my life that can't be compared to anyone else. In fact, your destiny is like a pair of shoes that only fits you. You can try to put someone else's shoes on, but it's not going to fit. It's not going to be comfortable. You were made to have just a unique destiny that God has for you that no one else can fill. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. And sometimes the reason why we get so frustrated in life is because we keep on looking at someone else's shoes when God has his own pair of shoes to give to you. And praise God, as you live out and walk out that pair of shoes, God will start blessing you as you go in faith. Amen. And, so, and I've learned some things from that experience is that one thing that we need to do is we need to repent of envy. If you want to get rid of envy, you've got to admit it. Repenting means admitting I've got an issue, I want to turn from it. And kind of saying, God, I admit I've got this issue with envy. I've got this issue with comparing myself to other people. I need to stop it, but I need your help, God. How many of us know that the more you grow in your relationship with God, the less envy becomes a part of your life? The more you spend time in God's presence, you realize the, how, the, the more the sillier envy actually is. You know, another thing is choose an attitude of gratitude. One of my favorite athletes of all time, his name is Arthur Ashe. During the 1960s and 1970s, Arthur Ashe was one of the most famous, most popular tennis players in the world. And on numerous occasions throughout his career, Arthur Ashe was ranked the number one tennis player in the world. And in fact, he is the only African-American man to ever win the Wimbledon championship, the U.S. Open and the Australian Open uh, in his career. In 1988, after one of the most successful, accomplished tennis careers of all time, Arthur Ashe, he woke up and for some reason he couldn't move his right arm. Just couldn't move his right arm. He went to see doctors and after a series of tests, they realized that Arthur Ashe had contracted HIV. And he contracted probably through a blood transfusion that he'd received a few years before. In 1993, Arthur Ashe died of AIDS-related pneumonia, but not before he became a spokesperson for the fight against HIV and AIDS. And often people would ask, uh, you, know, uh, you know, Arthur, you know, are you angry at God for what happened to you? Are you angry at how things turned out? And see, Arthur Ashe, he's a Christian, and in one interview, this is how Arthur responded when someone asked him, are you angry at God for all that's happened to you? And this is what he said. It's one of the coolest things I've ever heard. And I, even, I, it's so cool I haven't have had it written down. He says, if I were to say, God, why me, about the bad things, then I should have said, God, why me, about the good things that happened in my life. Amen. Sometimes we get so focused on saying, God, why me with this problem? God, why me with this issue that I can't solve? God, why me because of this difficulty in my life and these things, these bad things that we think are happening to us? But if we wanted to be fair, if we wanted to be fair about it, it's about saying, why me? Not just about the bad things that happen, but even more, why me about the good things that happen in life? Did I deserve all of that? Why me in terms of the great things that happened that were beyond my control? The things that the doors that opened that weren't just about me working hard, but somehow the door opened because someone was watching over me. People that were brought in my life that I had no control over that ended up being a huge blessing in my life. Opportunities that, I, that came that I didn't ask for, but they nonetheless were there and they blessed me. See, this is the thing, is that you might think about all the bad things that God allows in your life and you go, what did I do to, to deserve that? But there are far more, I'm going to put you today, there are far more good things that God has allowed in your life which ought to make us think, what did I do to deserve that? And see, the greatest thing is this, that God did, in case you had any doubt. The great, I believe that if you, looked at, if you were to kind of look at your life, and look at all the things, the, the good and the bad that happened in your life, that at the end of the day, there was far more good that took place than bad. But the greatest of them all is that when we were far apart from God and had no way of reaching God, when our envy, our pride, you know, our, our arrogance, our own rebellion separated us from God such we had no way of reaching him, even if we wanted to, God sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for you and for me. He sent Jesus Christ to pay for every time that we've been envious of others. To pay for every time that we have made a mistake. For every time that we've fallen short of God's glory. That God sent Jesus Christ to pay for it all. To meet our greatest need. He sent Jesus Christ long before you ever thought about reaching God. God was already reaching for you in the form of Jesus Christ. And to show that Jesus is, is effective in forgiving sin. To show that Jesus Christ is not just an ordinary man. Jesus Christ rose again from the grave. To show that anyone who places their trust in Jesus is not only forgiven of their sins, but they have a hope that is beyond the grave. Come on, give God a big, big hand here in this place together right now. Come on, give God a big shout in this place as well. Come on. Amen. And so choose an attitude of gratitude. Say every day, God, thank you for the blessings in my life. Not just what other, some, some other person has that has nothing to do with me, but thank you, God, for two hands that work. Thank you, God, for clothes on my back. Thank you, God, for breath in my lungs. Thank you, God, for the people in my life. It's about choosing an attitude of gratitude. Here's another thing if you want to get rid of, uh, of, of envy. Focus on what you have, not on what you don't have. You know, some people, they'll say this. You've heard this probably before. The grass is always greener on the other side. You've heard that before, haven't you? oh yeah, the grass is always greener on the other side. You know, oh man, if I, was, if I went to that city and lived there, life would be so much better. Oh, if I, if I had that family, life would be so much better. Oh, if I was married to that person, I'd, life would be so much better. If I had those kids, oh, life would be so much better. the grass is always greener on the other side, I'm, I'm here to challenge that with you today. I'm, not, I'm here to tell you, the grass is not always greener on the other side. The grass is always greener where you water it. Amen. Is that the grass is always greener where you water it, where you focus on it, where you work on it, where you cherish it, where you invest in it. And and see, that's what Jesus would help this woman to do, is that while this woman is saying, Mary is so blessed, Jesus' mom is so blessed, how could she be so blessed? It's like Jesus is saying to this woman, woman, you got all you need. You got all you need. And instead of focusing on opportunities that this woman didn't have, Jesus helps her to focus on an opportunity that she does have, that we also have. And it's in verse 28. Would you read verse 28 with me in a big, loud voice and say it right now? It says, he replied, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. See, what, what is Jesus saying? He's like, hey, 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 woman, forget what mary has all right forget what she has that's not yours don't worry about that but blessed rather are those who hear the word of god and obey it. And see, what what is that? See, this, this, this brings us to the second lesson today. See, you're going to find this, is that there is a blessing that comes from hearing and obeying God's word. Not just hearing God's word, which is, can be fun, it can be interesting, it can be entertaining, it can be enlightening, but there's a blessing that comes from hearing and obeying the word of God. If you don't believe me, look at James, James chapter 1, verse 22 to 25. Read with me in a big loud voice. 1, 2, 3, it says, do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like but the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this not forgetting what he has heard but doing it he will be blessed in what he does everyone say blessed say it again blessed See, both Jesus in Luke chapter 11 and James in James chapter 1, they both talk about being blessed when you hear and obey the word of God. You guys know that the Greek word for blessed is makarios. Sounds like a Pokemon, makarios. Uh, and, And makarios, what does makarios mean? Makarios means exceedingly happy. It means exceedingly well off. It means exceedingly fortunate. In other words, there is an unparalleled blessing that comes to you, that you get to enjoy when you hear and obey the word of God. How many of us know that the word of God, his commands aren't given you to be a straight jacket on your life, to kill your happiness, to destroy your freedom. They are there to protect us. They're there to guide us, to experience life to its very fullest. Amen. And I'm going to put this to you today. Why don't you write this down? Is that you will always be happier in the end by trusting and obeying God than trusting yourself and disobeying God. You will always be happier in the end. In the end, you will always be better off. You will always be more blessed in the end by trusting and obeying God than trusting yourself and disobeying God. Let me ask you a question if that's the case. Is there an area in your life today where you struggle to obey God, where you know what God wants you to do, but you struggle to do it? I'm here to to remind you today, you will always be happier in the end by trusting and obeying God than trusting yourself and disobeying God you know, For me, uh, I found this, and I find that this is not just me, but I think a lot of people do this. As you're following Jesus, there are going to be times when, uh, especially as an adult, but even as a teenager sometimes, is that you find that there's a struggle between you want to obey God, but then your parents might not fully understand. You want to do what God wants you to do, but maybe your family doesn't quite understand. And lots of people go through that, especially if you're the first Christian in your family, especially if maybe your family comes from a different background than what you're going through right now following Jesus, then this is a common struggle for many people. I remember there's, you know, I, I grew up in a Christian home, but even so, I would sometimes have that struggle. I remember, you know, I was in Taiwan with my wife, Pastor Charlene and I. We'd just moved to Taiwan. We'd been living there for a few months. Our plan was to stay there for maybe about a year, and about two, three months into our time in Taiwan, something happened back here in Vancouver that, 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 that caused my dad to say, hey, can you guys come back and help out with the family business during this time? We need you right now. We need you right now. God, you know, we, we, we need you to do this right now, and um, I said, hey, let me pray about it. And, and during that time, you know, we, like, Shar, she just started a job. I just started a job. We just started getting our feet settled into Taiwan. And so it was a bit of a struggle for me because I wanted to honor my parents. I wanted to do what my parents wanted me to do. But as I'd pray about it, every time i prayed about it, I just really sensed God say, stay in Taiwan. And, and you're going to find that sometimes the biggest struggles you'll ever go through is when you want to go, but God tells you to stay. Or when you want to stay, but God tells you to go. And, and in this case, it was something where I wanted to go, but for some reason, God was telling us to stay. I wanted to go back to Vancouver because the grass is always green on the other side, isn't it? And I was like, okay, we're going to make more money there, more opportunities there. You know, I- I'm going to be more comfortable there. I speak the language there. I'm not going to sweat like a pig like I do here in Taiwan. I, you know, I, I can just you know, be comfortable there. And I thought to myself, I'm just going to go there. I really want to go there. But hey, maybe just pray about it first. And every time I prayed about it, I sensed God say, don't go back right now. Stay here. And, and for me, it was a struggle because I was like, I think I'd be so much happier there. I think I'd be so much more blessed there. But we, 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 we went and we kind of, we, we, I, I was like, you know, every time I prayed about it, there was a peace about staying that I couldn't understand. And so at the end, I remember I called my dad and said, I'm so sorry, but I got to say no. And uh, you know, we're, we're going to stay here as we plan for the year, and we'll see what happens from there. One year became two years. Two years became three years. Three years became four years. We eventually stayed in Taiwan for four years, and at the time when we were first walking out that decision, was it a bit hard at points? It was a bit hard at points. Were there, were there times when, you know, I, I still kind of longed for something that was on the other side? Yeah, there were, but at the end of the day, God had a bigger plan for us. There was a reason why he told us to stay in Taiwan, because if we didn't stay in Taiwan, we wouldn't have gotten connected to one of the... The best churches we'd ever been a part of and if we didn't get connected with one of the best churches we'd be, ever be part of we wouldn't have been part of planting a church in downtown Taipei called torch covenant church and if we weren't part of planting torch covenant church we wouldn't be coming back here having been trained to do church and to lead and to plant thrive church here in our city and the fact, the fact is if I, if I if we had just gone and i just went with my decision to say you know what we're going to go back who cares what god says then we wouldn't be here today as a church. It goes to show that God always has a better plan, and we are always better off in the end by trusting and obeying God than trusting yourself and disobeying God. Amen. Come on, give God a big, big hand here in this place right now. Maybe you're here, and there is a next step you know that God wants you to take, maybe to get baptized maybe, uh, you know, you've already trusted, your, tr- trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior and you've heard that, you know, yeah, like, you know, the thing to do is get baptized. It's the next step. It's not a graduation. It's a beginning. It's the next step that, 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 that God's people take after receiving Jesus. In fact, Acts 2.38 says it. Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins. He's telling that to people who just became Christians that same day and he says, hey, get baptized and that's how baptism usually worked is that you got baptized on the same day that you received Jesus, whether or not you've read much of the Bible, whether or not you've ever gone to a church before, because baptism is simply a way to express your faith that I need a Savior, and I believe it's Jesus. That's what baptism is. And maybe you know that, but despite that, you're like, oh, maybe I'll wait on it. I know God wants me to do it, but uh, I don't know. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I'll, I'll wait or maybe you know there's other issues you're like oh what, what's my family gonna say maybe you're the first christian in your family what's my family gonna think and you're afraid to offend other people if that's you today then let me tell you this is that if you're an adult you're not living as an independent of your parents you're you're, you're, you're you know you're you're now taking care of yourself you're an adult who makes his own or her own decisions then can i encourage you do the thing that god wants you to do and trust that though your family or your parents might not understand it all right now, in hindsight, they'll look back and go, that was the right decision as well. Is that they, will, may, they might not understand it right now at this moment, but they'll understand looking back. In hindsight, they'll say, you know what? Looking back, that was the right thing to do. When you seek God's kingdom first, he'll add everything that you need. Amen. I've seen that over and over again in my own life and you know, in the lives of other people where you have that struggle. Oh, like God wants me to do this. My parents want me to do this. And it's not that you don't want to honor your parents, but you want to say, you know what? Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife, his children, his brothers and sisters, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. What is Jesus saying? He's not saying that you actually have to emotionally hate your family to follow Jesus, he's saying that your allegiance and your devotion to God needs to be on a whole nother level compared to, to anyone else. It's not, it's not Jesus and on the same level your family. It's not Jesus and on the same level money. It's not Jesus and the same level your status. It's not Jesus and your same level, you know, your, your, your spouse, but it's saying, Jesus, you're the one I'm here to follow, and I'm going to trust that when I seek your kingdom first, you're going to add everything that I need. That's learning to trust in Jesus. Amen. Amen. And so can I encourage you, those who are thinking about getting baptized, don't, don't hesitate to start exploring these issues because God wants you to take a next step and there is blessing when you hear and obey God's word. You will always be happier in the end by trusting and obeying God than trusting yourself and disobeying God. When you obey God and you trust him, you got all you need. Turn to your neighbor and say, you got all you need. Amen. Is this helpful in this place this morning? Are you learning something this morning? Praise God. We're going to finish off today looking at verse 29 to 32. Let's read it with me in a big, loud voice. Just verse 29 right now. It says, as the crowds increase, Jesus said, this is a wicked generation. It asks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonas. See, Keep this in mind. Jesus right now is on a roll. He is teaching with authority that people have never seen. He is healing people. He is casting out demons. He's even raising the dead. But still, despite all these thousands of people that are following Jesus, even as crowds are increasing, there is also a group that's increasing who don't believe in Jesus, who want to test Jesus, who want to discredit Jesus, and who keep on asking Jesus for signs. And Jesus says to them in verse 29, no sign will be given except the sign of Jonah. What's the sign of Jonah? What's the sign of Jonah? See, you got, you got to understand, the Old Testament, there was a guy called Jonah. He's a prophet. He's a minor prophet. And, and God called Jonah to preach to a town called Nineveh. Not a Jewish town, but it's a, it's, a, it's a Gentile town that didn't have the Hebrew scriptures, that didn't know who the Lord is. God tells Jonah to go to that city and preach to that city and, get them to, and, and, and call to them to turn back to God. But Jonah, after hearing that call, says no, and he runs in the opposite direction. He goes to a place, he heads to a place called Tarshish. He gets on a boat, and how many of us know This and this is what I love about God is that even when we run away from him, God still doesn't give up on us. That God chases after us with his love, even when we are trying to run as far away from him as we can. And maybe that's you in this place. Maybe you can't even believe you're in church today, but God is chasing you with his love. And, And see, here's the thing: is Jonah, he runs in the opposite direction, and God chases after him. He's in a boat. There's a storm that 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 rocks this boat. Jonah is thrown out of the boat into the sea. And you guys know this part of the story: a big fish, a huge fish that says, basically swallows Jonah whole and miraculously for three days and three nights Jonah is in the belly of a fish with now nowhere to run and nowhere to hide and he prays to God and says, God, what I have vowed I will make good. In other words, he probably made a commitment to God to say, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I will follow you to the ends of the earth if it means and he says, what I vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord and at that moment God commands the fish to, to vomit out Jonah onto the dry land and Jonah goes on to preach to Nineveh and his preaching results in people turning their lives back to God, both the king and everyone else. they They all turn to the Lord and become believers of the Lord. And see, the sign of Jonah is referring to how just as Jonah was in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights and miraculously came out alive, Jesus Christ would die, be placed in a tomb for three days and be raised to life. He would come out alive. And so by talking about the sign of Jonah, what is he talking about? Jesus talking about his own coming death and resurrection. In fact, later on this month, we're we'll going to be looking at Jesus' resurrection in more detail. Look at verse 30 and 31. Read it with me in a big loud voice. What does it say? It says, for as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them, for she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now one great than Solomon is here. Who's the queen of the south, by the way? Do you guys know the queen of the south? That, 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 that sounds like, is that, is that something from like Game of Thrones? Or what is it, the queen of the south? That The, the queen, queen of the south, also known as the queen of Sheba, was a Gentile ruler who was living about a thousand years before Jesus was born. And you can read about her story in 1 Kings chapter 10 in the Old Testament, where she, the queen of Sheba, has honest questions about God. She has sincere questions about faith. And she's heard that this guy called King Solomon, he's the king of Israel, that he has wisdom on these issues. And so she goes out of her way. She travels a long distance from her country to Israel where she meets and visits King Solomon, where she, she speaks her mind and hashes out all these questions. And based on the conversations that she would have with King Solomon, the Queen of Sheba becomes a believer in the Lord. That's what happens to the Queen of Sheba. Look at verse 32, something similar happens to the men of Nineveh. What does it say? It says, the men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it for they repented at the preaching of Jonah and now one greater than Jonah is here. See, in other words, what happens is that the queen of Sheba and the people of Nineveh, they all responded to the Lord even though they were given much less in terms of evidence for faith than the people of Jesus' day. And see, did, did the queen of Sheba get Jesus? No. He got. She, she, did she get the A team? No, she got the maybe the, the B minus C team. All right, she got Solomon. And despite that, despite Solomon not raising a single person to, to life, no, despite Solomon not healing a single person, despite Solomon not casting out a single demon, just having a conversation with Solomon, the queen of Sheba, who's a smart woman, a smart girl, she comes to know the Lord personally. And then you got you know, the, the people of Nineveh who don't have the Hebrew scriptures. They're foreigners when it comes to the kingdom of God. You know, and God sends Jonah who's like maybe a, 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 like a D team, like a D team level kind of prophet. Not a major prophet. He's not on, on on Ezekiel's level. He's not on Isaiah's level. He's just Jonah. He sends Jonah to Nineveh, and they respond to his preaching, and the whole city turns to the Lord. And what is, what is, the, what is the, 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 the lesson in this? Is that notice, Jonah didn't do any miracle. He didn't, he, didn't, he didn't heal anybody. He didn't cast out a demon. All he did was preach, and yet people came to the Lord. And what is the lesson there? Is, I don't think the lesson there from jesus i don't think the reason why jesus raises this as a point is to say oh yeah well some people need a little bit of evidence to believe uh some people need a lot of evidence before they will believe i believe the lesson that jesus is trying to communicate is this is that sometimes the reason we refuse to trust god is not because we lack evidence but it's because we're scared or it's because we're selfish or it's because we're spoiled Or it's because we're prideful. Or it's because we don't want to change the way we're living. We like our lives the way they are. And so we refuse to trust. Not because of any intellectual reason. It's for a selfish reason. And see, we act as if God is the problem. And oh yeah, God, you haven't shown me enough. When in fact, perhaps the problem is us. What's the lesson here? You can write this down. Don't keep asking God for a sign. When he's already given you everything you need to take a next step. Don't ask God for a sign. When God has already given you everything you need to take a next step. You know, have you ever prayed to God, God, just give me a sign. Oh, she, is she the one? Give me a sign. You know, show me a sign in the sky, please. Or do, do, do something for me, please. Just show me a sign. And, and see, here's the thing. Yeah, I, I remember when I was, uh, you know, many, many years ago, uh, I, was, I was dating this girl, um, uh, and not, not, not Pastor Shard, but another girl, and, uh, you know, I hadn't seen the light yet and all that. And, 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 and this is the thing, is during that time, I was, I was dating this girl. Great girl, great girl. But very early in the relationship, I knew in my gut that this relationship wasn't, wasn't the right thing. In my gut, great girl, that didn't think that this was the right thing for me. And, and you know, my parents had advised against it. Uh, mentors in my life had asked that I rethink it. Each time I prayed about it, I sensed that probably the best thing to do was to end it. And I had everything I need, needed right in those early months to make a decision. But my fear and my lack of faith caused me to hang on to what I call the simultaneously comfortable and uncomfortable relationship. Comfortable because it was what we'd always been doing. Comfortable because it was the easy thing to do. It's just, you know, it's just, we're, we're, we're so used to it, let's just keep on going. Uncomfortable because I had no peace about it. Uncomfortable because I knew deep down this wasn't the best thing. And God, see, he had given me everything that I needed to make a faith decision, and yet I kept asking God for more signs to tell me I should do something different. And you know what? It didn't take me a few months. It took me another year before I finally made the decision to, to say, yeah, we got to end this relationship. And by delaying it, I just made it harder for me, I made it harder for that poor girl, and I made it hard for those around me. And I learned something from that experience, is that when I keep asking God for signs even though He's already given me everything I need, there's a few things that happen. One is that it shows a lack of faith on my part. It shows that I'm not really trusting God and more trusting my feelings or trusting myself. Another thing that comes across is that I come across as a spoiled child because it's like I don't appreciate what God has already done. I keep on asking for more and more as if what He's already done doesn't count. You know, when I, when I keep on asking God for more signs, and, and it, even though He's already shown me everything I need, what am I doing? I'm testing God. I'm putting the onus on God to say, God, it's, it's the balls in your court, again, to convince me, again, to make me feel a certain way, again. And, and, and rather than me saying, oh, you know what, the onus is on me. And then, you know, when I keep on asking God for signs, and instead of, instead of just kind of going ahead and trusting God because he's given me all that I need, the longer I delay my obedience, the longer I prolong the pain. The longer I delay the obedience, the longer I, de- I prolong the pain that naturally comes from not living the way that God wants me to live. And the longer I forfeit the blessing, the peace, the joy, and the opportunities that would naturally have come if I just believed and obeyed. Does it make sense in this place? And see, here, with that in mind, let me ask you this question. Is there an area in your life where you know what God wants you to do, but you keep asking God for signs as a delay tactic? To say, oh, oh God, you haven't shown me enough. You know, I, I, show me something else. Show me more. You know, the, the, you know, make, make me feel a certain way. Do a sign in the sky somehow. See, if, if you're an atheist in this place, if you come from a, an atheist position or agnostic position here, and, and, you know, I, 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 would, I would encourage you to ask yourself, you know, ha, is the reason why I have made the position, I've come to the position that I don't believe in God or, you know, I I don't know if there's a God, so who knows, is the reason why I do that because I have really thoroughly investigated both sides. I've really carefully thought through the different arguments. I've really carefully looked at the evidence for is there a God or is there not a God, or 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 if I'm not, and my position is more an emotional one where I'm just kind of hiding behind it because I'm more comfortable that way. See, this is the thing, is that if you want to experience every blessing that God has for your life, it's about saying, God, I got all I need. I'm ready to take a step forward. Maybe you're a Christian in this place, and, and you know the next step God wants you to take. Maybe it's to break off that relationship that's not best for you. Maybe it's to start a new habit that you know is going to do you a lot of good. Maybe it's to say yes to that opportunity or that challenge. Maybe it's to get baptized. Maybe it's to ask for help in that issue when you've been doing it all on your own. But instead of doing that, instead of taking that next step, instead of asking God in Instead of actually go ahead and doing it, you keep asking God for more signs. You keep asking God to give you a feeling. You keep asking God or saying, oh, let me pray about it. Let let, let me pray about it. And you're just basically delaying the thing that you know you need to do when God has already given you everything you need to go forward. You got all you need. Amen? Turn near me and say, you got all you need. And because you got all you need, don't keep asking God for signs when you got all you need. Don't delay the blessing that God wants to give you when you follow the way he wants you to go. Don't prolong the pain that comes from that delay. Look at verse 32. We're going to end in this place tonight. One one more time. Let's read verse 32. It says, the men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now one greater than Jonah is here. Let me end with this one last point. Have you guys learned something in this place tonight? This, this morning? This morning? I haven't been preaching that long. It's not that yet. One of the big themes of Luke is that Jesus is greater. In fact, you see this over and over in this passage. The greater one is here. The one greater is here. And if, in, in Luke, you see that Jesus is greater than sickness. Jesus is greater than the natural world. Jesus is greater than evil spirits. Jesus is greater than the Sabbath day. Jesus is greater than Solomon. Jesus is greater than Jonah. And so if you're going to go through what you are thinking is a really great problem today, there's one thing that you need to know is that you got all that you need. It's because the one greater than your problem is here. The one greater than that issue is here. The one greater than your struggle is here. The one greater than that worry is here. The one greater than that health issue is here. The one greater than that worry is here. His name is Jesus Christ. He's here he's here. And maybe you're here and you are overwhelmed by how great a problem you're going through is right now. I'm here to tell you, it's not the greatest thing in the room. The greater one, his name is Jesus. And if you will hang on to him in the midst of the season, you will find that those who trust and believe and obey him will be happier in the end than those who don't. And so if you believe that, would you give Jesus Christ, the one who's greater, a big hand and a big shout in this place this morning? Let's all stand to our feet. Would you turn to neighbors on your right and your left, give them a high five and say, the one who's greater is here. Tell them that right now. The one who's greater is here. Head bowed and head closed. I just want to lead you in a time where you can respond to God through prayer. If you are here and you realize today that there is envy in your heart that you need to come clean about today with God, or maybe you're here in this place and you realize that it's some other sin in your life that you need forgiveness from, I'm here to let you know that when we were far away from God because of sin, God saw our need for him by sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins. And if you want to receive forgiveness from Jesus, then I'm here to tell you it's as simple as praying a prayer. You can open up your heart to God today and receive his forgiveness because Jesus Christ bled and died on the cross so that you and I could be brought back to God and to have a relationship with him not just for today but one that lasts for an eternity and so if that's you and you realize that you need Jesus today why don't you lift up your hand to God we want to pray with you and for you to receive him into your life why don't you just lift up your hand to God right now don't worry about what your neighbor's doing this is between you and God if you realize you need forgiveness from Jesus today if you want to open up your heart and receive Jesus into your life and to receive his forgiveness for your sins then why don't you just open up your heart, lift up your hand to God. Would you lift your hand high up to heaven right now as an expression of your need for God? And would you just pray this prayer with me right now? You can say, dear Jesus, dear Jesus thank, you thank you for all of your love for me, how you died on the cross to pay for my sins, to pay for my how, sins. You rose again how you rose again to give, again. Me, life. To give me life. Today, Today I, open I open up my heart and say, Jesus, and say Please come into my life, forgive me of my sins, sins. and make me a new person. person. Thank you that because of your blood, my sins are forgiven. forgiven. I am a new creation, creation, and the best is yet to come. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. pray. Amen. Amen. Would you give God a big hand, a big shout in this place together right now?